Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh, gracious and most merciful Father, Lord, we understand that to the world, your, the word of the gospel and the hope of the gospel is foolishness, Lord, for those who are perishing. But for us, Lord, the ones who truly believe, it is the power of God. We pray, Lord, that we would see your power at work this very evening. Lord, that you would be in our midst through the Holy Spirit, that we would see your mighty work in, in generations in the great cloud of witnesses that has gone before, that we would be, see the glorious promise of the gospel. Lord, help us to cherish your word and to love it. Lord, help us to see your glorious power. And let, let us not see the words of folly before us, but let us see the words of wisdom as we begin to unpack your word together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word Lord from uh, Genesis chapter 46. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. So Israel took his journey with all that he had come, had, and came to Beersheba. And offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob sent out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons. And Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Have you ever sat in a crossroads in your life? I'm not mentioning that physical crossroads, such as the railroad down the, the street. We know we've all sat there before. But I speak of more of a, a, a lifelong crossroad. A, a, a moment in your life, you have to make a decision. And it's not just a, a short-term, a small decision with a short-term impact. This might be one of the biggest decisions you will ever have to make in all your life with a big outcome that will be affected by it. Jacob had a few of these moments in his life. Maybe we haven't delved on this much, but he, it didn't seem like in these big crossroads he had much of a choice. That day when he got the birthright or getting the blessing... It seemed like spur-of-the-moment opportunities which presented themselves before him that he took hold of. Those moments would have a big impact on his life. 
maybe some bigger items, moving to Badam Iran. But again, this is more self-conservation that Esau was out to be able to go get him. Where else would he go? Or when he's in Padam Aram and he's moving back to the land of Canaan, worried about what Esau would do to him. All of these were big impacts and big crossroads in his life that have a long-lasting impact. But tonight I think you would see one of the biggest impacts and decisions with a long-lasting effect. Now, and I'm sure that Jacob has no idea how big this decision is. But we see that God does. Now, Jacob, as we saw last time, has found out about Joseph being in Egypt. We've known all along. We've followed the story of Joseph throughout. But Jacob, after 22 years, heard this when they came and told him that Joseph is still alive in verse 26 of chapter 45. And he is ruler over all the land. Jacob's heart became numb. And he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. He is resolute that before he dies... He wants to go and see his son, Joseph. He's 130 years old at this point, And this is a big journey. About 400 miles or so, depending on where you start or where you finish. Without any cars. He'd had his own adventure. Bilbo Baggins said about his unexpected journey in The Hobbit that hobbits are playing quiet folk, that we have no use for adventures. They're nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable, and they make you late for dinner. I can't think of anyone who sees what anyone sees in them. And I'm sure Jacob felt like this. He's, he's spent his years wandering, and finally he has made himself somewhat of a home. And here's this choice to be able to go on this big journey in front of him. And maybe it was even bigger than he thought. He, at the end of the last chapter, he, he seeks to be able to go see Joseph before he dies. But now he, he seems maybe he's going for a longer period of time. Maybe he's concerned that his heart attack that he just had when they share the news. He thinks death is at his doorstep. He must go quickly to see Joseph. And he does take all that he has, the U-Haul that Pharaoh has generously given to him. But we should know by now, it doesn't really matter what his plans are. It doesn't really matter in the end. And tonight as we look at this passage, we see nothing new. It's the same story, different people. In verse 1, we see that Israel took his journey and all he had with him came to Beersheba and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And as he's leaving, as he's going off to Egypt, all the little children with him, his sons and his sons' sons and his sons' wives and all his family, 
he comes to Beersheba. And Beersheba is an important place. It's not just because of a location. It's one with a rich history. For us, we might be able to say the seven springs down the road is more than just a location. It has to do with our name. It's not just coordinates on a map, but there's a connection here. And Beersheba is a historical place. Historical place for his grandfather Abraham in chapter 21. Where the place is called Beersheba because of this oath that he made, this covenant that he made with Abimelech, the commander and the king of the Philistines. Abraham plants a Tiramisk tree in Beersheba and called the name on the Lord the Everlasting God. Not only that, it's also where Abraham went after he went to offer sacrifice when he went to offer Isaac as a sacrifice in chapter twenty-two. After that, he went, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Not only Abraham, but also in Isaac. Isaac went up to Beersheba in chapter twenty-six, and the Lord appeared to him the same night. Again, what happens to Jacob here at Beersheba? The Lord appears to him, I'm the God of your father. Fear not, I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And Isaac's servants dug a well. Not only have the Tiramis tree planted by uh, Abraham to remind him of the everlasting Lord, you have a well there dug by his father. Not only the history of Abraham and Isaac, but also Jacob. As Jacob sent by his parents to be able to go to Padam Aran, where does he stop? In chapter 26. Beersheba. Before leaving the land of Canaan, he goes and worships the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and himself. Just as his father had worshipped, his grandfather had worshipped, Now, I could spend a lot more time on this, but I won't. But I just want to be able to point it over. John Calvin helped me be able to see this. But notice that he goes and makes a sacrifice to God. Now, just think about the, the moment in life and what's happening in this region at this time. It's a great time of famine. He knows that there's more famine to be able to come. Wouldn't we be sympathetic to someone in this time and says, why are you making a sacrifice to God? Isn't this a waste? But you could say that the greater the sacrifice of the person, the greater the worship or the cost is. The woman who gives only two coins is a small, insignificant in the eyes of the world but it's that she gave everything to God. That although it was small in value, it's still a great sacrifice. And as he is about to embark on this journey, he had one more place to go. Now we can stop here in Genesis 46. We know what's going to happen. We know the ending We know this is not just merely a short-term vacation. 
This is one of the, the lasting impacts on one of the greatest stories for Israel. Think of the people in Israel in slavery wondering, did Jacob do the right thing in going to Egypt? What if Jacob didn't come to Egypt? How would our lives be different? However, we're told more than just Jacob going to a place of his fathers and worshiping the God of his fathers. But the God of his fathers speaks to him, just as he had done before. Now, as we go through Genesis, we always need to be reminded that God does not change. His promises are the same yesterday and today and forever, because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. That he speaks to his people. Now, at this time, Moses is not born. Moses is the writer of Genesis, the author of Genesis. So they have no written word to be able to fall back on. But they've got the stories that Abraham had told to Isaac and Isaac had told to Jacob. And Jacob had passed on to his children. And Jacob would have heard about how Abraham was called from Haran to a place that he did not know. And now God speaks to Jacob here at Beersheba. And again, we have nothing new here, but many things in the Bible are repeated that we might be able to understand and uh, know them. I'll say it again. There's many things in the Bible that are repeated that we might know and understand them. And God speaks to Israel in visions of the night, just as he did with Isaac in Beersheba. Jacob, Jacob, he says. Jacob, Jacob, a, a repetition that gets attention, but also a term of endearment. And God tells him in verse 3, I am the God, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. Here God says two main things. Three, actually, but... I think I've repeated the point constantly that God is speaking not just to, to, to Jacob, but his promises flow through family. I'm the God of your father. The first thing he says to Jacob is, do not be afraid to go to Egypt. Now, Jacob is afraid of one particular thing. Normally, it's do not be afraid. As in, you're speaking with an angel or God, and they're all fearful. But here, Jacob is concerned about going to Egypt. He, God speaks to Jacob with this specific fear about going to Egypt. He'd been worried about what Esau would do to him before. So he split up his family. He devised a plan. But why would Jacob be afraid to be able to go to Egypt? I think there's many reasons. They're in a, in a famine that's going throughout the land. You go to somewhere where everyone else is going, where there's food, and how are you going to make sure there's enough? Maybe we could be able to rustle some up here. And you think about all the ways that are defined Joseph before, that Joseph is a harsh man. Think about just traveling with a handful of kids 
on a cart. That would strike fear into most of us. I mean, the list could go on. He's worried about his children, his family. But I think we need to be reminded of a few things. Jacob, the last time he went to Haran, to Padam Haran, was some of the most difficult times in his life. The last time he went on a journey, he lost his, his favorite wife. Strange thing to say, but it is true. Last time he settled around worldly people, which is where he's going to Egypt. What happened to his daughter Dinah? Specifically, last time that he he made a big move was in Genesis 31, where God told him to go back to the land of Canaan. So is is he breaking God's word because he's moving away from where God had told him to be? But also a promise made to him before in Genesis chapter 28. Where God promises... That I am the Lord, the God of, your, of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land of which you lie, I will give you and your offspring. That here this land is promised to him. And now he's packing everything up to be able to move to a different land. He seems to be moving backwards to be able to accomplish this promise. But not only Jacob has been told all these things, all these things would incite fear in you, but also his father. That we know many of the stories which our parents tell. That we could almost retell them word for word. That as we mentioned before, the stories of Genesis are passed down from generation to generation. And I'm sure Jacob heard the story of Isaac many times before in Genesis chapter 26. There was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Again, then the promises of the land are given. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For you and all your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. God tells Isaac, Don't go down to Egypt. Stay in this land. Why is he to stay in this land? Because I'm going to give this land to you and your offspring. This is where we get the the name Beersheba. To swear an oath. Or the seven wells or the well of oaths. So Jacob has clear, two at least clear reasons to be afraid. One that God had told him to go to Canaan with the promise and the land attached. But then also his father was told specifically not to go to Egypt, which is also connected to the promise of the land. But there's also one more. Remember Abraham. The promise of, of Genesis 12, when he first hears about the promise given to Genesis. And then what happens that follows? He goes to Egypt. And although God watched over him, it's not written as a good thing in the Bible. And there's many reasons to be afraid. God's promise is for this land to be given to my offspring. The promise is tied to land. How can I go to Egypt? But God does not only tell him not to be afraid, but he also reminds him 
of who made the promise in the first place and who will keep the promise. In verse 3, he goes on to say, For there I will make you into a great nation. That as we've gone through Genesis, the promise is twofold. Not only the promised land, but also the promised nation, the promised offspring that would come, that would possess that land. And God is not worried about the land. He's, he's, he's going to fulfill the promise of the offspring. And God explains that going to Egypt, that God would then fulfill the promise. Now notice, God's promises are clear to us, but how he accomplishes those promises might not always be clear to us. But also notice how slow those promises are fulfilled. You're going to go to Egypt, he says to Jacob, and I'm going to make you prosper and multiply in this place. Now before we get to verse 4, we should note the great joy we see here in this passage for us. That the multiplication of the people of God happens not in the promised land, but within what you might say the world. You could say here there's this slither of this great commission. Go into all Egypt and make disciples, circumcising them and teaching them. But although we we think there is no soft soil in the world for gospel seeds, we are mistaken. God causes the growth not in the land that is promised, but in the world. God can cause everything to be created out of nothing. And here God shows this gospel tree growing, even within the world. The major question throughout all of Genesis is how is the seed of the woman going to be able to survive against the seed of the serpent? These two forever at conflict. And God here shows that when Jacob goes into the world surrounded by the seed of the serpent, that he would prosper, that he will thrive. Think about what happened in the past in Genesis 6, when the sons of God came and dwelled with the daughters of men, or the Tower of Babel, or Lot and his family as he went into the world. But here, God's people don't merely survive in this circumstance, they thrive in the world, because they're not of this world. But also remember the last line of the Great Commission. The great promise of the Great Commission. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That if you notice something about the promises of God, the promises of God are not geographical, they're personal. We see this in verse 4 I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I'll bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. The God says that I will go down and I will bring you up. Now again, wouldn't we say, if we were just pause at this moment, Jacob, what do you think God means by this? Jacob might say something to the effect of, well, I'm going to go down, visit Joseph, and then I'm going to come back to the land of Canaan, and there I will die. Joseph will be by my side. 
But again, it doesn't matter what Jacob thinks. God knows what the promise he is that he's making. This is also the faith part of the promises. Notice that not only God fulfills his promise in a slow way, but also he fulfills his promise in a better way than we might ever think. Jacob, who moments before thought that he only had 11 sons, his heart had stopped and been revived again. And now he finds out that the son whom he thought he lost 22 years ago was not lost, but he's found. His son was alive. And he will get to see the promise of his son before he dies. But not only that, that he would see Joseph would be the last person whom he sees before he dies. Now this passage would have meant a lot less to me seven years ago before children. But after being a father, this passage becomes more of a vivid image of comfort and emotion for me. Jacob's life, who has been a journey, he refers to it when he talks to Pharaoh later in this chapter, that I've sojourned in my life 130 years. But what comfort it would be for him, not only knowing that Joseph would close his eyes, but even the moments before his eyes were closed, that Joseph would be by his side. The son whom you thought went before you to heaven is going to see you cross that river. The son whom you loved like you did with Rachel will be the one who holds your hand and prays with you. But just as Jacob came back to be with his father Isaac when he died, Joseph will be by the side of Jacob as he dies. I think Deuteronomy chapter 26 has a beautiful line that summarizes this scene. The first four verses of chapter 26 say this. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land, and the Lord your God has given you, and you shall put it in a basket. And you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare today that the Lord your God, that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And years later, as, as, as they're looking and they're rejoicing, as they walk into the land, as J- Jacob is leaving the land, as, as they come back and now they're celebrating God's provision of giving them this land in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 5. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Arminian was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there. Few in number... And there became a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. 
that here is, is they look back. They look back at this point in Jacob's life and they say, A wandering Arminian was our father. He went down to Egypt and he sojourned there. And we see, and they look back and see how God had fulfilled his promises. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt because I will be with you. I will make you multiply. You will become a great nation. And they look back on this moment and rejoice that God not only gave them the promise of the offspring, but the promise of the land. Here at this fork in the road, I'm sure as we read Exodus, we wonder if this is the right decision. But here we see the hand of God through the promises of God. God promises that that his people can thrive in dark places. That God's promises are fulfilled because of the promise maker, not because of the ones receiving the promise. Or as that famous hymn says, that he leadeth me, O blessed thought, a words of heavenly comfort fraught, Wherever I do, wherever I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Sometimes mid glooms, scenes of dark, deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, by waters calm or troubled sea, still his hand that leadeth me. Lord, I would clasp thy hand into mine, nor ever murmur nor repine content, whatever lot I see. Since still God's hand that leadeth me. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, even death's cold wave, I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. That here Jacob is at this point where even in his old age he's be able to look back and say that it is God's hand that leadeth me. I go into the world, and God will be with me. He will fulfill all of his promises, because it's not through me that the promises are fulfilled, because I am a promise breaker, but God is a promise maker. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for those of the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before who have shown us such great faith as they walk through this barren land. Lord, that they show their faith in you, in your promises. Lord, that we see that you are the terrific promise maker and the terrific promise keeper. Lord, that we get to read chapters ahead and see how you fulfilled your promises in so many different ways. Lord, we pray that we would trust in you as we stand on the edge of Jordan, not crossing into Jordan, but into the world, that we would know that you are with us, that you can still cause the seed to grow even in a dark and gloomy time. We pray that we would cherish this with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.